you could argue, and I think there's a good argument to be made here. And this, I, you know, I'll throw up a slide here from Jim Stewartson, who's uh, one of the, uh, the researchers and influencers we speak with on the show here, about the amount of influence that Peter Thiel has had on the alternative facts universe. Let's call it that. The myths about COVID, the myths about even QAnon, you know, that's that whole uh, setup through uh, Jeff Giese, his longtime associate who funded and ran MAGA 3X. There's a sense that Peter Thiel has always been involved with that sort of a psyopy world of the Trump administration or the Trump campaign or, or those allied structures. And, you know, here's the chart just so everyone can see it. It's, you know, you can see the, the people involved on the left, but each of them has engaged in each one of these conspiracy theories that have turned America into a polarized country that we are. You know, on the one hand, he does that. Let's say you might not agree with all this, but let's assume that it is true that he does all this. And on the other hand, he's got Mark Zuckerberg promoting this extremism on Facebook. I mean, it's an extraordinarily maniacal plan when you look at it that way, if it, if it is a plan, you know, to say, I'm going to create all this content that's going to make America polarized, and then I'm going to have my media company make America polarized with it. So I don't endorse that chart, but I will say that I think people are right to be looking for those connections because for years, Teal has, uh, you know, kind of played footsie with many of these groups that are pushing disinformation and people in Teal's network have continued to push disinformation. I think there's an open question of exactly how active Teal was in the alt-right kind of post, you know, early 2017, right? Because after kind of... Trump took office. I think there was some distance created there. Again, but people can disagree or whatever. But what I'll say is, I saw a few things on that chart I think are, are certainly worth discussing. I mean, you know, one is Project Veritas, which has been, you know, hammering, has a financial connection to Teal that goes way back, or, or through James. James O'Keefe has a connection to Teal that goes way back and has been um, not only hammering these social media companies, but pushing an alternative narrative on COVID. Um, you also have these kind of podcaster, Eric Weinstein, who does mm. the kind of like just asking questions. Like there's a lot of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We're not quite like, we're not quite, you know, endorsing any of this, yeah. but we're not, we're not distancing ourselves either. And, th and that's why I say it's, I think it's important to ask these questions because, because again, when you, when there's this kind of like, when you're sort of playing footsie and we're talking about these like very dangerous ideas, then, you know, I'm not even, I, know, I don't know how big a difference there is. And yeah. then the second point is, as you said, Zuckerberg created the conditions and, and Thiel helped create the ideology that gave Zuckerberg kind of the permission structure and the, and the playbook, in other words, to, to do this. So like, I don't think any of these disinformation platforms take off without complicity from Facebook and, and, and a complicity from Peter Thiel. And the other thing is, you know, we're seeing these political candidates now and they are really kind of right on the edge. Again, like it's, it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of plausible deniability, but like, I think it's important to talk about this stuff. And that's why I'm glad you raised it because, you know, they are not saying that the January 6th insurrection was good, but also not, not saying it. And we've yeah. seen J.D. Vance make a lot of references to, you know, protesters. And the, the, the implication, of course, is that the people who trespassed and attempted to take over the Capitol and attempted to, to um, you know, stop the result of a democratically, you know, of the democratic process were, were just protesters and, right. and weren't doing something that was an attempt to overturn our government, which, of course, it was. And so, again, I think part of the issue is that he's been very good at, at sort of creating this, this structure of plausible deniability. But at a certain point, 
I, it doesn't totally matter. And right. and when you've got like Josh Hawley, who is like a long time, you know, Teal's been a long time patron of Hawley. When you've got Hawley walking into the Capitol and raising his fist, I mean, that's the main thing you need to know. It, yeah. it almost doesn't matter who's funding the other stuff because right. the real scandal isn't what's happening, you know, in the depths of the dark web as money's being, you know, moved around. It's it's what's happening out in the open before our very eyes. And so so that that would be my response to it. But but again, I think it's fair to ask all those questions that you're asking. Yeah. The so-called curious uh, crowd. Heidi. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Another brilliant conversation. I'm very um, pleased that you're here, particularly on this day. Um, just to make, to kind of button up the Gawker deal, mm. that Gawker takedown, I think that what that really did was reveal him to be what our viewers are calling that evil super villain. By doing that, he sort of exposed something that wasn't kind of that quirky, odd guy that people had been writing about in Silicon Valley. And I will say in your book, this almost made me cry. You quoted the final column that Gawker's Denton had written. Mm -hmm. And he basically said, you know, what Peter Thiel has gotten away with would otherwise be viewed as an act of petty revenge. But these are the new elites and he called them essentially a group of thin-skinned tech lords who can disrupt anything. Yeah, well, of course, that's. I think this is part of why Gawker got so under Peter Thiel's skin, right? Is that Denton, um, they have a lot in common. Denton is a libertarian, he's gay. I think Denton in some ways saw through Thiel, and I think that is part of what mm. kind of you know, okay, and you can debate, you know, I, I don't think everything that Denton has done or whatever has been right, but Denton intuited, first of all, that Teal was powerful and somebody who should be scrutinized. You know, he's clearly intuited kind of where the weak points were. And I think that his assessment of the case is, you know, worth paying attention. That's why I quoted it. I also think it's, it's really important to remember. So this Gawker thing happens exactly, almost exactly the same time when Teal shows up on the list of delegates for Donald Trump. Uh, in May, it all happens in May of 2016. Uh, he shows up on this list and Forbes outs him as the backer of the Gawker lawsuit. And the next day, Teal goes to Andrew Ross Sorkin of the New York Times and not only, you know, confirms the report, but says, yes, it was me and I am damn proud of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I think I think you're right to see that. And the audience is right to see that as a turn. You know, Teal is a, a professional wrestling fan or at least a, a somebody who is familiar with professional wrestling, you know, lingo. And, you know, I, I think this was kind of a heel turn. It was like he mm -hmm. was embracing this identity as somebody who really is powerful and makes things happen and doesn't give a crap what anybody else thinks. And of course, that's an identity he had been, that had been really important to him his whole life, probably way, probably more important to him than his, you know, sexual identity. And now he gets to finally, you know, come out and say like, yeah, this is, um, you know, I'm being the badass, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what was going on. And, and he's somebody who really likes to, you know, build up these myths and you can have a myth of a hero and, and you can have a myth of a villain. And I think Teal uh, kind of helpfully created two of those. Yeah. Although, I mean, the, the, it can be helpful to have the myth of the villain. Maybe it is because he, of the money he's making of it, but publicly he can't be enjoying the, the response he's got, and it must be. Oh, totally disagree. Actually. Yeah, I, I think the villain thing has helped him. I mean, mm. um, it's always hard to, it's always hard to know. But I think first, number one, if you want to um, create a chilling effect in media, mm. right, you have to kind of play the villain, right? You have to be the guy who's like crazy enough to, right. to sue a journalist. So I think, I think in that sense, 
you know, it was useful. Maybe he didn't mean to, maybe it was a big accident, but, but it was useful if, even if it wasn't. It was also useful to Palantir. Palantir has very much used mm -hmm. this kind of villain narrative, the narrative that they are big brother to sell software to corporations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because corporations, you know, for the most part, don't really care about civil liberties. I mean, I know this is like a mind blowing <laughs> thing, right? But what they want is to have the same software that the CIA has, right? right? And that's what that was the sales pitch. And it's very helpful to that sales pitch if the media is going around saying, oh my God, you wouldn't believe how scary this company is. You wouldn't believe how scary Peter Thiel is. You know, so I do think it has played to his advantage. And he's been very, very savvy about sort of using it and leveraging it. Now I think there have been times, right, where that narrative, as you say, it's it's backfired, right? I'm sure, uh, you know, I, I think Teal has become very controversial, way more controversial than he wants to be. Um, it's probably hurt certain, you know, whatever. There's been some downsides, as you say, but I think he's in some ways engineered it, and I think he has used it. And it's important that people who want to criticize Palantir understand that there are aspects of that narrative, that criticism, that have helped the company. And yeah. For sure. However... He, it is kind of true that they're linked to the CIA. I mean, you know, they did in, um, what is it? In, they got a huge amount of funding in from the Qtel, in Qtel, I think was the name of the company. Uh, oh, yeah. The charges somewhere, I, maybe I don't. But, you know, I mean, they're certainly funded by the CIA's venture capital firm in Qtel. That's a big deal. And then when it came to oh, yeah. um, coronavirus, you know, their puppet company or their front company, I guess, teletracking. Uh, was the company that was selected to take over the COVID accounting during the, the original coronavirus um, surge. I mean, these are not good looks for any company, oh. especially not Palantir. Oh, absolutely. The CIA connection is there. I'm just saying yeah. that, you know, Palantir has sort of used it and accentuated. Right. And I do think there are ways in which, um, especially over the years, the technology hasn't actually been as good as um, Palantir's claim, but also as, as the media has at times claimed. Mm. Um, and I think it's important to look at that clear in the eye. The other thing I'll say is the privacy advocates aren't wrong, right? Like Palantir does present huge privacy problems that people who care about, you know, are, are the digital spaces and our, and our digital identities need to think about. Um, that's partly because of the design of the software and the ways in which like data mining in general is kind of really horrible for privacy. Mm -hmm. And when you have a, a data mining company, as you say, like backed by the CIA that has all these like, you know, like hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, army contracts and things like that, like, you know, that, that I think rightly causes people to be skeptical. And then there's a second thing, which is that there is actually a lot of reporting out there that some of which is in my book and there's new reporting in my book about this, but that others have done that I've done of a Palantir, you know, behaving, you know, in ways that I think you would not want a company that is going to be a steward of our privacy and, it, and is going to be, you know, a trusted partner of the U.S. government to behave. A lot of people probably know about the Glenn Greenwald, you know, there was this presentation um, almost a decade ago, where they proposed, you know, kind of an information operation against Glenn Greenwald, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, and they backed off of that. Uh, Alex Karp, the CEO, apologized. But you've seen this pattern again and again and again. And um, Bloomberg, uh, you know, where I work, did a did a really great story a couple years back about J.P. Morgan using Palantir's technology in ways that I think, you know, make everybody, including you know the the executives at J.P. Morgan, super uncomfortable. And there are cases in which the Palantir salespeople are, you know, just kind of wink, wink, nudge 
nudge, nudge to the clients that they can do things with this that they really shouldn't be doing. Mm. And so it is definitely, there are definitely like a lot of reasons to be skeptical of, of their um, both intentions and their methods. Um, yeah. But I also think that they've been really clever about using the big brother stuff to their advantage. True. Now, they also happen to these three gentlemen here who own the company, basically, Carp yeah, on the right there. And, and uh, is that Stephen Cohen on the, on the left? Yeah. These three own the company sort of forever. They've created a class structure for, for their shares that allow them to remain the owners forever, it seems like. It's, it's a very unique uh, setup for any company. It's almost surprising it's legal. So, but that puts them in a very powerful position where they are basically the overlords of our private information for eternity. Well, should be very familiar to anyone who's followed Facebook or Peter Thiel's career, because this is how all the companies are set mm. up with these super shares where that give the founders. And again, when you look at the Palantir board, it's it's gotten a lot better. But the Palantir board was like a lot of friends of, you know, it's like, it's like a lot of people who are, you know, technically independent, but like, you know, they really look pretty close to Peter Thiel yeah. in a lot of ways. Now, uh, it's important to say, though, right, that like they don't control our destiny, right? I mean, they, they're a government contractor. We, and, you know, happily we live in a democracy. So like there are checks on Palantir and particularly on Palantir because they have these government contracts. So I don't think it's worth feeling, you know, totally despondent about Not it. Not despondent, but they yeah, can't, yeah. if they wanted to take somebody else, I'm sure they could just put in a name into their computer and find some, you know, dirty bit of detail to use against them using their system. No one would ever say anything. No one ever know. I mean, they would push back on that um, pretty strongly, um, but I think there's definitely been a pattern of behavior that crosses the line mm. and of, you know, and the way they they push back on some of this bad stuff that I'm talking about is they'll say, oh, it's the client's doing, right? right. The client wanted us to dig up dirt on, you know, whatever, like the Glenn Greenwald example, right? Like they, that was a presentation on behalf of a client, uh, the right. JP Morgan thing, the bad actor there you know, was the client. It wasn't Palantir. I mean, that's the explanation that they give. It's not us. It's it's our clients. But at a certain point, like when this happens over and over and over again, like you have to ask like, well, maybe there's some problems with the software that people keep using it so badly, right? It's it's yeah. the old, like, it's kind of the way we talk about gun control. There's a lot of things like this where it's like very easy to pass the buck, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be questioning like how these people do business. It sounds a lot and, like and I, NSO, to be honest, their excuses, you know, just as, a, as an aside. Um, speaking of NSO and all of this, I mean, I know this isn't in your book very much, but it certainly is interesting to me that Peter Thiel has a very close relationship with Bibi Netanyahu. He also has a very close relationship. It's with Jared Kushner. This might have even happened on the same day. I don't know if they it look like it's the same day. But, you know, these two guys are close too. And many would have said that Jared Kushner was, you know, literally the, the president during uh, the Trump administration. That's an enormous amount of power and connection that Peter would have had there. And, you know, before we get into carbon or anything else like that, there is a story in your book, which is new, I think, in that you describe a, a dinner where I think Zuckerberg comes to terms with Jared Kushner at the White House about how they're going to handle, um, you know, extremist news or, or news about the Trump administration. Yeah, this was a big story at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Remember, uh, I brought this up earlier, but um, Facebook was under fire at the time over these campaign ads that Trump mm -hmm. had been running. And uh, there's a lot of pressure from folks like Elizabeth Warren. Now, remember, like Elizabeth Warren could have been president, right? She was at that point a leading contender, and she is like one of the harshest critics. There's like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of pressure from the left on Facebook. Uh, Zuckerberg is obviously in kind of damage control mode. He um, gives a speech at Georgetown, which is like a very like Peter Thiel-esque 
you know, I, it would not surprise me if Teal had looked at the speech. I mean, the, the, the ideas that, that are expressed are very, very similar to, to the things that kinds of things Peter Teal has been talking about for years, but it's all about how Facebook needs to lay off, can't fact check politicians, we, it's not our place, right? The implication is these campaign ads that Trump is running, that Warren and AOC and all these lefties want us to do something about, we're not gonna do anything about it. Yeah. And then there's same trip, Zuckerberg goes to the White House, and as you said, it's Trump and Melania, it's Jared Kushner and Ivanka, and it's Peter Thiel and his husband, and Mark Zuckerberg and his wife. And at that meeting, as t this account comes from somebody who spoke to Thiel after the meeting, as he understood it, right, there was an understanding that Zuckerberg and Trump and Kushner, you know, came to, which is that Facebook is going to kind of lay off the, the Trump administration, as it had been saying publicly, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Facebook had been telegraphing a lot of this, and is also going to, you know, help promote these the kind of right media, basically not allow uh, right media to be quote unquote silenced, you know. Facebook has denied this. Zuckerberg called this totally ridiculous. Um, this is my reporting, which I stand by, but you don't have to take my word for it because you can just look at what happened. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. like, and so, so, you know, just weeks afterwards, Facebook comes up with a list of sort of like approved news sources. Like on that list is, you know, Breitbart News. Yeah. Now, I, you know, Breitbart News, I, people can, they, they, they've come a long way, right, from the days of, you know, the black crime tab mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the really like hardcore, you know, kind of racist stuff that they were associated with. Um, but Breitbart News is, is pretty far out there, right? And when you look at like the, the, um, the media outlets that have done really well on Facebook since then, right, it's, it's like Ben Shapiro's, mm -hmm. um, it's Ben Shapiro's outlet, it's like Dan Bongino, this kind of like, um, you know, conservative media personalities. And also there's a lot of reporting from BuzzFeed News and Bloomberg to, to back this up where you had people inside of Facebook noticing that basically Zuckerberg and, and, and the senior leadership were looking the other way as Ben Shapiro and, and people like him violated, you know, the policies that they were clearly, um, you know, help making life easy for conservative media. And they clearly went easy on Donald Trump because, you know, when Trump does his, uh, you know, looters and shooters bit, right? And Twitter immediately takes action. Facebook didn't quickly take action. We saw Facebook kind of being a little bit behind the ball on that. And I, I think that there's a clear reason, which is that Facebook really didn't want to be ahead of it, didn't want to be a punching bag for Donald Trump. And I think that is 100% you know, the work of Peter, not 100% the work of Peter Thiel, but that is the influence of Peter Thiel. And it's seen in that meeting. And it's also seen in this enormous body of reporting and um, just stuff that we can see with our own eyes that have happened. Yeah. It certainly seems to me that Ben Shapiro's audience is only due to Facebook sort of move well, on only do, but it seems like there's a huge uh, emphasis on his content um, on Facebook. And that's really why he's able to get the audience he is, which is, you know, maybe he's a successful broadcaster on his own, but it doesn't seem very even handed by Facebook on that level. Um, Heidi, do you want to jump in here? Yes, I sure do. I remember the very day in 2016 when the Trump campaign went from paying maybe a hundred bucks a day for ads on Facebook to a million. And they continued that million dollars a day through the campaign. And mm. I think we live through so much history that we forget these basic things. Suddenly Facebook was seeing a return on its investment and that libertarian concoction, you know, uh, who knows if Peter Thiel is a Christian libertarian, or he just really wanted to be that contrarian to what, you know, uh, the liberal democracy that most people abide by. We don't know, but it certainly was weaponized against democracy, which brings me, our viewers are asking so many questions. A lot of them you've already spoken to, but 
one of our viewers asked what I think is almost the existential question of the moment. What would happen if democracy was crushed to Facebook? I think that's a really good question, and I think people should be asking it. And and like, and I'm glad that the viewers are asking it. And I, I know it sounds like a little bit crazy, but um, Facebook has a ton of power. And we saw, and again on on January sixth, you know, we came pretty close to something really bad happening. And as we're learning, you know, Facebook bears some responsibility for mm-hmm. that. And I also think, you know, and this is why, you know, this is why I wrote the book. You know. People again, I, as you can probably tell, like the book is balanced, right? It's it's not a takedown of Peter Thiel. It attempts to kind of you know basically find a middle ground between the supervillain superheroes stuff. Um, but I do think it's really important to be clear-eyed about the things where he's very far outside the mainstream. And one of those is democracy. Mm-hmm. And it's you know the the ideology that comes through in his writing and in the people he supports. And, and these people are not, you know, Trump is out, but these people are still very influential is one where basically, you know, we'd be a lot better off if the country were run by like a tech CEO instead yeah. of um you know, and that's not an exaggeration. That is like literally like the philosophy of this guy, you know, Curtis Yarvin, who has gotten money from Peter Thiel, is very influential in this, ne- you know, network. Um, that's this is the things that these people actually, you know, believe. And I think it's really important to talk about those because on one hand you have the beliefs, and then on the other hand you have what's actually happening. And what's actually happening is um, these tech companies have, you know, more power than any media entity in history. There's very little accountability. Uh, there's rampant misinformation. Like we're already kind of drifting in that direction as it is. And the fact that, you know, somebody who's on the board, somebody who's an important, you know, really important voice, maybe the most important influ- outside influence on Mark Zuckerberg, you know, may believe that democracy is not good and that we'd be better off in a, in a dictatorship is really, really troubling to me as somebody who, you know, believes in the constitution. Absolutely. Uh, free speech and all that. Now, I mean, if you take out Peter Thiel out, of the, Thiel out of the mix, you've got, you know, you might not have had a Trump presidency, maybe you would have, but you would not have had all these other allied efforts to, you know, to subvert democracy. I, and, you, you know, and take Facebook out of the mix, and you got the same thing with January 6th, like maybe that wouldn't have happened. You know, you subtract Peter Thiel and Mark Zuckerberg out of the picture, and the last five years would have been very different, potentially. Yeah, I would I would agree. And and I think uh, maybe the next five years as well. I mean, you yeah. know, as I said, there are these there are Senate candidates out there right now, you know, who are who are backed by Teal's money um, and who are running, uh, you know, on a Trumpist ticket, basically. And and they may lose. I, you know, I think there's a very good chance they'll yeah. they'll lose in their primaries. But but either way, like this, the, the movement is not going away. It's very powerful. It has huge financial backing. And like, that's why we need to understand this guy and this kind of intellectual world that kind of coincides with the business world. When, when I was working on the book, I read um, uh, Christopher Leonard's Coke Land, which is some, a book that I re- really recommend. It's about how Coke Industries, you know, basically took over the Republican Party. And I think there is an extent to which Peter Thiel is trying to pull the same trick, but with the Trumpist version of the party. Mm-hmm. And instead of an industrial conglomerate, right, like Coke Industries, industrial conglomerate, it's a post-industrial conglomerate. It's, it's a bunch of tech companies. And I think it's a very similar situation. And that's why, like, we need to, you know, everyone needs to pay attention because these people that are helping to decide um, that we live in and whether you agree with them or not, you have to understand them. And they're pushing anti-American ideals. I mean, you know, it's hard, as you mentioned earlier, there's just it's really hard to accept these guys as doing anything of value if they're um, opposing the system that we as a country have agreed is the system. I mean, 
you'd say something like it's traitorous or but it's treasonous but it, it isn't you know it's just some people thinking those ideals but certainly using the immense power they have and using these media networks or social networks that they have that seems to me like pushing it way too far when they have such a, a monopoly of their of so many people's uh, data and uh, what they're thinking yeah, well, and I, I think, you know, if a Supreme Court justice had written, you know, I don't believe in democracy, mm. like we'd be a little concerned. Right. <laughs> and and I think that, you know, a, a Facebook board member, mm. especially Peter Thiel, has probably more power than a typical Supreme Court justice. And certainly Mark Zuckerberg does. So we should know, we should want to know what they believe. And we should be, you know, looking very carefully at that and also where, where they're spending their money, because that is also a way that people reveal, you know, what they truly think. I do want to go back to Israel on one thing, and and uh, you know I mentioned carbon to you before the show. I know this it's not really on your radar necessarily, but you know this is the uh, the makeup of the original investors into carbon. They included people like Jeffrey Epstein, Peter Thiel, Ehud Barak, Victor Vexelberg, Andrew Intrata, uh the Israeli government. The advisory board uh, included people like Michael Chertoff, um, Trey Stevens, who is a Palantir work uh, employee, I, I believe, and was also the Trump Department of Defense transition chief. He's part of Carbon. Eric Prince, not directly involved in it, but he's very close to Lital Leshem, who was the former board member of Carbon and also works for, or used to work for Black Cube. And then the other two uh, sort of CEOs or, or chief executives come from the 8200, uh, you know, really, really well-known Israeli military defense sector, which is basically like their NSA. Now, this is an unusual company for Peter Thiel to be involved in. Carbon basically provides a service for 911 centers to listen in and use your your phone video to track what you're doing in an emergency. They say it's in an emergency, but you could argue that, you know, it's also not in an emergency that they could do it. It's a, you know, it seems like a real, a real hack into privacy. And here's Peter Thiel again, and this time, you know, in the company of Jeffrey Epstein, in what seems to be like a front for the Israeli Defense Force. I mean, that's a, it's a hell of a company to be involved in. I, you know, I think it's worth asking these questions. I mean, of course, there are a lot of connections between, you know, Israeli technology firms and the Israeli military in Silicon Valley. You know, there's a lot of tech has come out of, out of Israel, as you know. So I'm not sure that there's, you know, I'm not sure there's much to read into it beyond that. Mm. On the other hand, you know, Teal has been involved in these defense companies, and particularly, you know, Trey Stevens, who, you know, who we bring up is a was an important figure in Palantir, an important figure in Anduril. You know, I, it's something I'll have to, you know, look into and yeah. uh, and get back to you. Especially when he's, you know, if he is interested in not having a democracy, having him so involved in the defense sector as he is, is even more troubling, especially when one of the strategies seems to be to, you know, have a coup attempt. So it's a uh, yeah, it's hard to know where his influence ends in that whole world, and it is troubling. Heidi, anything else from the viewers? Well, actually, you just hit it on the head. People wanted to talk about, they feel that we have to go back and look at the investors to really understand mm -hmm. what we're dealing with. So when you look at the early investors of Facebook, you've got Teal, you've got Yuri Milner, you've got Sergey Grishin, you've mm -hmm. got these characters. And what does that mean? And should we be afraid of these super powerful privacy, you know, slurping tech companies. 
Well, yeah, we should. I mean, and and I think, but I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's surprising. I mean, you know, reading into the question, I guess, but like, I think the questioner is asking about, you know, foreign intelligence and, you know, uh, the, the prospect that foreign intelligence could could be, you know, infiltrating these companies. Um, yeah, again, I don't know anything specific about this, but I think obviously these companies are very powerful. And obviously, you know, they're playing in this world, so it's a concern. I think a former colleague of mine at the Times has done some reporting on on Yuri Milner that I think is interesting. Mm. You know, I, I don't really know what to say, except like it's kind of further validation at a minimum that these companies are really important and that they're worth, you know, really understanding and, and holding to count when we can. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else, Heidi, from the, from the chat room that anyone wants to mention? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, we have people saying, is he the Antichrist, you know? <laughs> is he <it> the Antichrist? <laughs> no, and I think it's really important to, this is why I'm sort of, I keep pushing back on this. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I really think like, you know, obviously I know there are a lot of people who feel very strongly that he is a, a very bad influence on society. And I think there are definitely things there that you should look at, but it's worth looking at him clear-eyed. That's why, and that's, again, that's why I wrote the book, because, like, I think if if you want to be critical, I think it's helpful to move past the, like, he's the Antichrist or something, because right. I don't think that's helping you understand him. I don't think it's helping you uh, convince anyone who, who disagrees with you, and I don't think it's helpful, like, if you think his ideas are dangerous, like, I don't think it, it's, a, it's a very helpful, like, intellectual response. It's, it, I think it's, you know, he's a complicated guy. I think he's worth understanding in full and then, and being like super clear about the things that are bad and, and that are worth criticism. It seems to me that it's really his moment now. I mean, he's, he's got a moment now where he can redefine himself in some ways. You know, he, there is no doubt that Zuckerberg and Facebook's going to be, you know, forced into a position where they've got to make some moves. I mean, Zuckerberg could try hide, but I don't think it's going to work as well this time as he's done before. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure building on him. Teal could be a, again, a peacemaker here. He could be a, a bridge builder or he could, you know, do a, some really defining thing in, in his life, which he's done before. Um, I also think about that, about his politics. I mean, you know, he hasn't personally expressed uh, any interest in running for office, but he might, you know. Yeah, although I think it's unlikely just yeah. given the, you know, uh, like there was a lot of baggage there that I yeah. think would be complicated, as we've discussed. Right? Yeah. There's a ton of baggage. Yeah. Um, and I also think, you know, he's playing a different game. And, and mm. the game is, you know, money. It's, it's, it's as I said, it's this combination of a corporate project and an influence project. I think he wants to be that behind the scenes guy. He wants to be the one trying to pull, if he's not pulling the strings, at least trying to pull the strings or, or you know, helping to pull the strings. Right. He, uh, yeah. So I think, think a run for office is, is probably less likely, although certainly possible. Possible, yeah. Max Chafkin, thanks so much for being on the show tonight. The book is called The Contrarian, Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley Pursuit of Power. It's a really good read uh, and people should really pick it up. If you're interested in this intersection of tech and Trump and, and politics, this is the thing to read. And it's really fascinating. It gives you real insight into who Peter Thiel is and uh, a really fascinating history of uh, Silicon Valley too. So congratulations on the book, Max. Is there anything else you want them to know about uh, the book? No, no, just uh, feel free to um, message me or whatever. On I'm on Twitter at, at Chafkin uh, is my handle if you have other questions. And uh, definitely check out the book. I think it really will help people get their hands around some of the issues that you're talking about. 100% agree. Max, thank you so much for being with us on Narrative tonight. Really appreciate your time and uh, really interesting hour. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks, Ev. Thanks, Heidi. Great. Cheers. Have a good one. You too. 
Heidi, let's just stick around for one second and just wrap up a little bit. Wow, that's a really interesting uh, conversation. He's so uh, giving and engaging on all this and certainly knows so much about the topic. Um, what was your takeaway? Um, well, having read the book, mm -hmm. I would encourage people to read the book because he really did an excellent job reporting the details that tell a full picture of this man. And mm -hmm. as I said, I was absolutely touched by his childhood because if you've ever been around an authoritarian German man, you can't be your authentic self. And if mm. you're sensitive or slightly effeminate, you cannot be that person. And so that I think is the big conflict that we see throughout Peter Thiel's life. And so much of what we discussed, I think is rooted in that. So I think the book is an absolute must read. Mm. Uh, I'm very glad that he said, you know, more shall be revealed, like keep asking these questions because we are in a dangerous time. Our privacy has been stripped away. And these are the guys who are essentially responsible in building that. So, mm. And there are the people who could also ultimately change it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's up to Peter Thiel and, and Mark Zuckerberg to see the light of day and to you know, arrive at a point where they say, you know what, we can't keep doing this because uh, the, the system that created us is going to be destroyed by us. And therefore, we can't afford this anymore. We need to find a different path out. You know, I, I, you've certainly seen Peter Thiel evolve in many, many ways um, in the way he thinks. Maybe this is the moment and maybe it's Mark Zuckerberg's moment to realize, you know, things got to change. Might be hoping against yeah. hope there. It certainly hasn't been the case up to now, but it's, it's uh, certainly something to be asking of them and to be demanding of them. Uh, certainly on Facebook, you know, they've got a responsibility now to really uh, react to these latest whistleblower complaints. That's absolutely right. That big takeaway today was Facebook's statement. They're actually begging for regulation. They mm -hmm. basically said, we don't agree with the whistleblower, but yes, we agree that we need some regulation. They, yeah, they but that's that. a you know that's that's okay. But they've said that for a while. They've said they wanted regulation. Well, you couldn't regulate yourself and not put a, a bunch of hate speech on the on the internet that causes polarization of a country and you know destroys democracy. You could probably figure that out by yourself. Cle you clearly, they can't. Regulate you don't need themselves. a regulator to tell you that those kinds of things. Um, well, that's the show for tonight. We want to thank everyone for being here tonight. And of course, you can always uh, support Narrative by going to patreon.com forward slash Narrative. We're back tomorrow night where we have another conversation about Facebook. Is it goodbye, Facebook? Is that the moment we're in right now? Is it time to actually shut down the service? We'll be talking about that tomorrow night, plus all the news. We'll see you back here on Narrative. Have a good night, everyone. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.